learned, and it's great to see them share from their heart. You know, my heart has uh, been encouraged. <laughs> my heart has been encouraged uh, these few weeks as uh, we've heard our storytellers share from their heart uh, on a, a myriad of topics, certainly uh, uh, things that come from their heart. Uh, you know, some of you may be excited that this uh, four-week journey uh, of extravagant generosity is coming to a close, uh, but I think uh, there are so many more of us uh, that have had those uh, uh, kind of doubts and fears of simply talking about generosity. I think some of that fear has, is melting away, and I think that is a very good place uh, for us to, uh, to be in and to celebrate. You know, I have not always been a tither uh, with my own finances, uh, but the last 15 years or so, it has become such an important part of who I am uh, that, uh, you know, it's important for the church to make time to be intentional uh, about talking uh, generosity and those things that are associated with generosity. You know, as a young person, uh, when Melissa and I married, we were uh, living, we, we thought we were living at the, at the uh, end of our means. Uh, we knew we uh, needed to provide a, uh, a roof over our heads. Uh, we knew we needed to be able to pay bills, to do all those kinds of things. Uh, and it seemed like we had no extra to give uh, beyond those means that we were living at. And then come the kids. And uh, even with the kids, when we look back and we realize, well, gosh, you know, that little bit later in life, we were actually making more money. It didn't seem like we had any more discretionary income. It seemed like it was going out just as fast as it was before we had uh, been promoted or had made advancements in our jobs and careers. Uh, we had that responsibility to one another, to the kids, uh, to the community. And we just were in that place where we didn't feel like we... We could give any more than the, the meager uh, giving that we were already doing. Things like insurance, groceries, uh, uh, all those things that, that bombard us today. Uh, so at church, we would hear things like what a tithe is. We, we would hear speakers and pastors. We would hear scripture lessons. But it always seemed like because we didn't think we had the money that somehow we were exempt uh, from, from that kind of expectation about being a follower of Christ. Uh, if we didn't have it, we just felt like we couldn't give anymore. Now, believe me, I didn't have a Damascus Road experience or an epiphany uh, when I moved to a tithe. Uh, it was a gradual move. And once there, these last 15 years or so, I can tell you how, uh, how uh, I don't worry about hearing about generosity. Uh, because it is a blessing to be a part of, uh, of those who can be generous. I think it's about us being sanctified. I think it's about us moving deeper in our relationship uh, with Christ. And I think that Christian maturity, as it comes along, gives us this comfort to be generous with, with who we are. I want to read to you uh, from 2 Corinthians, uh, the 8th chapter, verse 24. Hear what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore... Openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Paul, in this passage of Scripture that's connected to the passages around it, he's talking about being generous uh, with the church, to the church. And so I think uh, there, there are those uh, in our lives, our faith lives, uh, people like uh, uh, the apostles, uh, but certainly others, 2,000 years of history, when we think about the history of this local church, 
uh, and how our forefathers uh, uh, looked to the future, uh, cast visions for the church to follow, I think we see over and over again uh, this notion of generosity operating in people's lives. Uh, Robert Schneezy, uh, who, has, uh, who has driven uh, uh, you know, his work, his book on extravagant generosity that we've based these four weeks on, uh, tells a, an example of, of a man who for the very first time began, began to practice tithing. And he said, as, as he wrote out that first tithe check at, the, at, at, at this place in his faith life, he said it felt like he was swallowing an avocado pit. So if you can imagine that, that releasing of that, that, that treasure that he is, uh, thought he needed so much, and he described it as swallowing an avocado pit. pit. Some of us think that, that uh, our giving ought to be the leftovers uh, of what we have after we've paid the bills, after we've satisfied that, the need that we think we have for our futures. And then if there is any of that discretionary income left, uh, some of us think that that's what God might be happy with. Uh, I, I think uh, I want to share for those of you that are thinking like that, a passage of scripture that comes from uh, the prophet Malachi. I'm going to read from the third chapter, verses 8 through 11. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. You know, even Jesus, uh, we talked last week, even Jesus as he's watching the, uh, the, the very impoverished woman just put those few coins, those few very simple uh, uh, they would be the pennies of the day that she put uh, in the treasury. Uh, Jesus commends her for that because of her extravagant generosity. Jesus knows that, that she depended on those few pennies to live on, and yet she was responding to God's generosity. And Jesus, even though he scolds the Pharisees, he commends them for their giving. So, Jesus has this notion and gives us this understanding that we ought to be generous in response to all that God has given us. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, uh, not only tithed, but he expected Methodists to give regularly. They gave at their, in their small group meetings and they gave when they were in chapel, if you will. And he said they should do it generously. And the Methodists, the early Methodists, meticulously kept records of one another's giving. And it was a way of holding each other accountable. Accountable not to, to, to say you owe more money, but an accountability that reminds us that all of this giving is from God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. I think when we give... The act of giving, the act of letting loose of some of the things that, that, that hold us up as a society, hold us up as people of faith, when we give, I think it reshapes our lives. 
And sometimes we haven't got ourselves spiritually to the place to think like that. And so sometimes it takes us practicing that. And I think the man that felt like he was swallowing the avocado pit, as he began to practice the tithe, I think he would describe his, his uh, practice of giving later as not swallowing the avocado pit, but feeling this love of God connected to his generosity, connected to his regular giving. You know, as a, as a pastor in training, when I was uh, not yet appointed to a church, but was beginning to experience uh, uh, the, the sense of church leadership and, and uh, was, was beginning to share uh, generously with my income, my mother, bless her soul, she would always say, you know, I give to the church, I give to the church. Sometimes she would ask me to take her check to church. So I knew she gave to the church. But she would justify some of her other actions by sharing with other nonprofits. Now, please don't get me wrong. Nonprofits are a really good thing, but they're often, most often, if not exclusively, they're not the church. They are not God. They are not teaching discipleship. They, they are a good place to do good work. But sometimes you and I begin to substitute our generosity with nonprofits and justify that by saying they do a really good thing. And yet, we hear in the scripture about giving back to the body of Christ, about giving to God, about those coins in the storehouse, those coins in the treasury, where God's work is intentionally being done. And so, you know, sometimes we need to, to be, make ourselves aware that it's okay, but maybe it's after we tithe to the church that we support those nonprofits because they do very good work and do have an impact in our lives, but not necessarily bringing people to know Christ in Christ's ways and in the fullness of Christ. We live in a, in a society that is rife with, with countercultural thinking, at least countercultural to the Christian way of thinking. When God speaks of generosity, the world says, hold on to more of what you got. Or the exact opposite, the polar opposite, to spend on these things that will make you comfortable and happy, as if God's happiness is for sale. So we need to, to understand these opportunities that are related uh, to our faith. You know, if, our grand, if we were to go back and be able to ask our grandparents, you know, how did you do it? How did you tithe? You know, what would they say? 150 years ago, what would they say? I think we're more affluent today. I, th I think we have uh, two income households now because the opportunity is there. I think we have more opportunity to, to influence one another to, to better our lives perhaps than they did 150 years ago. So what do you think uh, our, our ancestors, our recent ancestors, those 150 years out, uh, what do you think they would say was how, how are they able to tithe when the society is, at least out here in this part of the world, uh, was, was, was still a, a, a cattle, the, uh, you know, a, Farming, dairy, uh, beef cattle, all those kinds of things. How do you think they would have described the way they made it? Now, acknowledging that I think we're more affluent today than we were uh, in past generations, uh, sometimes when we are new to the faith and we hear this thing about just giving, not even tithing, but just simply giving, we feel like we're being overwhelmed. We don't know where to start. We don't know what's expected. And so this, this idea of being generous with our hard-earned uh, income, whether we're earning it uh, on an hourly scale or by salary or, or if it's in retirement or, or through investments, you know, people can feel overwhelmed. And I know there are people that are not new to the faith. 
20-year veterans, if you will, 30-year, 40-year, 50-year veterans of the faith, people who are maturing in their faith who have not yet reached that point of tithe, have not yet practicing the tithe, not yet committed to doing those things that our faith expects of us. And one of the things that dawned on me as I was learning about tithing was, you know what, that's not just a Methodist thing. That's not just related to this church. Every church should talk about this notion of God's generosity. And then how, as people of faith, how do we reflect the generousness of God in our lives? And so we fail to do that. Uh, and, and, and this year, you know, our finance committee, not because uh, of anything else, they said, you know, we haven't had a stewardship campaign. So, so trust me in this, friends. I'm not going to give you a pledge card in just a minute. I'm not going to ask you to, to pledge for a budget. We're just simply talking about God's generosity and how our love for God is showing the generousness of our own uh, shaping in God's ways. So what I think I would suggest to the 20, 30, 40 year veteran of faith, if you're not there yet, find ways, make it important to begin to practice generosity. To practice it at a higher level. You know, some people say, well, I already give 10%. Well, a tithe isn't about a ceiling on, on your generousness. It is just kind of that target minimum. This is just what uh, God's people do, uh, is target that 10%. And that's the kind of sharing that I tried to do with my mother. You know, Mom, this is, this is what the church is looking at us for. And then, you know, American Heart Association, American Can those things were so important in my mom and dad's lives, I know they wanted to give to that, and well as some other uh, good uh, nonprofits. But it takes us giving to the church in order to help further God's kingdom. You know, the people that gave of their time, the people that prayed for that uh, trunk or treat event, the people that showed up and dressed up and, and uh, loved on all the community members, that was sacrificial for a lot of them. Some of them gave up football game time. Some of them gave up dinner with friends or family to be out there. And, and, and I, I, I think the five to 600 number, uh, I know that the cooks ran out of food. I mean, we just know there were, ran out twice, uh, twice as much food served this year as last year. We just knew there were a lot of people out there. And people were sacrificing of their time. And so many of you brought candy to make that event. That, that's just evidence of God's love at work in your world. Nobody's strong-arming you to do that. You just did that because that's who you are becoming. You are being shaped in that. Peter Drucker, uh, the great organizational guru, uh, talks about pruning. He actually uses some biblical kinds of terminology. And sometimes we just need to have our lives pruned a little bit. Sometimes it's in our homes where we can't get organized. Sometimes it's in our businesses. But certainly in our faith life, Drucker rightfully uses, I think, some, some great biblical uh, foundations for pruning to get us back on track. We need to make those priorities priorities. I want to read to you another passage of Scripture. and I'm gonna, This is so great. I, it's, it's from the message, the very late uh, Eugene Peterson, who just passed away. Uh, translated scripture. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 9, 12, and 14. This is in that sense of pruning. You are done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in a wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, Quiet strength, discipline, 
And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. That is so wonderful the way he puts that, this, this notion, that text, uh, to, to a kind of a living kind of encouragement for us. You know, when we talk in, in the sense of, of, of priorities, uh, I think one of the things that is so helpful for us is we consider perhaps where we are in our support of the church financially. And this can work in other ways, but certainly financially. I think one of the things that ought to come first is prayer. We ought to pray about where we are. We ought to pray about where God is in our life. How, how important is God in our life? Well, this Will this understanding of God being more and more and more important until there's nothing you have more important than God in your life? That will help you prioritize the things in your life. So pray. Also make an intentional decision about your generosity in your life. Make it intentional. Don't don't fly by the seat of your pants. Make it intentional and prepare for that. You know, back when I first started giving, the, the, the generosity part of it was, just as I spoke, it was the leftover. But people who give through their faith life, people who give at the, at the tithe or, or who are working on their tithe, they make it the priority. They give first. And then, miraculously, somehow, they get through to the next paycheck. And at the same time, they start feeling this connection they have this deep spiritual connection with God, realizing that in their generosity, they still make it. And yet they're even happier than when they were not giving generously. So I think we need to make an intentional decision and we need to grow toward it. You know, most of us that tithe aren't at the place where we can tithe a 10% tithe. That's the biblical standard, that minimum, 10%. Most of us work toward it. If you're someone like me, the challenge would look something like this. I challenge you to work to increase your giving by 1% per year. That's a pretty reasonable opportunity for you to get from wherever you are. Whether it be zero or five dollars, look at your income and commit to at least 1% additional each year until you are at the tithe. And friends, I don't think you'll stop at the tithe of 10%. I think your heart will have been so changed by the time you reach there that you'll be looking, whether you're giving extra to the church, whether you're finding more uh, non-profits who do really good work in town, I think your heart will be so changed because you prayed about it, you were intentional, you made that decision, and you began to practice or grow toward it. Friends, I think that's how we can get to the level of being a tither. I think it's a matter of the heart. But remember, God loved before we ever loved. And in this nature of God, we find our own being. For God so loved the world that He gave the most important thing that He could, His Son, so that everyone who believes in Him would have eternal life. The life is ours. God is providing that life for us. Don't miss out on the great generous life that God has for you. Don't shortchange yourself. Don't compartmentalize yourself and say, I'll let someone else do that for me. I'll be generous in these ways. 
The Bible is filled with our tendencies to, uh, to, to do other things, to act in other ways. But often, time and time again, including Jesus himself, he addressed this notion of giving up these things that hold us back. In other words, our finances from true faith in God. Be someone who prays. Be someone who makes that decision. Be someone who grows or practices the great gift of being generous with your life. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to come.